Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Publishing a book can be difficult. That's why a number of Native authors are opting to self-publish, which some authors say allows more creative and financial control than working with a publishing company. But there are challenges when it comes to publishing independently. In this hour, we'll speak with some self-published Native authors whose work spans a variety of genres, including dystopian fiction, comic books, and children's books. We're back after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. One year ago, Interior Secretary Deb Holland issued a declaration to remove the SQ word, a slur against Indigenous women, from place names on federal lands. Nearly 650 new names were finalized this fall, including in Dillingham, Alaska. As KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, three elementary students had pushed to change the name long before the federal government started its process. Alora Wassily, Trista Wassily, and Harmony Larson have worked to change the creek's name since 2021. That finally happened in September. In an interview shortly after the announcement, Alora said they had put a lot of effort into reaching that goal. It feels good because we worked on it for so long and it finally got changed and we just feel relieved. We felt accomplished. They began advocating for the change when they were in fifth grade, after they had heard a local story about seven sisters who had lived along the creek, and how both the creek and a road of the same name were marked with the derogatory word. Now they're in seventh grade. Robin Cheney helped the students prepare. She's the federal programs coordinator for Dillingham City Schools and has been an adult advisor for the students. Them standing behind their information was really powerful. They were part of educating people here, including myself. The students are the latest in a long legacy of work to recenter native place names in Bristol Bay. Francisca Damoski is the land manager for the Bristol Bay Native Corporation. She oversees the land department's cultural heritage efforts, including the Bristol Bay Native Place Names Project. She says it's one of the ways the corporation celebrates and preserves that heritage. Amal Creek translates to great-grandparent and is a Yuchtun word. And in this case, it references a group of sisters or great-grandmothers who, according to traditional stories, traveled to the area and settled near the creek. So the community recognized the role of the great-grandmothers in their families and chose the name to honor their ancestors. The students' work isn't over. They are now focused on the next steps to change the community's signs and replace them with the new name, Amau Creek. For National Native News, I'm Izzy Ross. President Biden plans to designate the nation's newest national monument in southern Nevada. As Arizona Public Radio's Brian Heinches reports, the 450,000-acre expanse is sacred to at least a dozen tribes. The Avi Kwame National Monument would include Spirit Mountain and the surrounding Mojave Desert landscape 80 miles south of Las Vegas. It's considered the origin point for the Hualapai, Havasupai, Maricopa, and several other tribes, and is also a sacred site for the Hopi. 
The 5,600-foot peak itself was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1999 for its tribal significance. Indigenous leaders and environmental groups say the designation will connect several other biologically diverse protected areas and provide vital habitat and migration corridors for bighorn sheep, desert tortoise, and other species. The new monument would span an area in the southern tip of Nevada between Arizona and the Colorado River to the California Mojave National Preserve. Biden made the announcement at the recent White House Tribal Nations Summit. The designation hasn't been made final, but tribes, conservationists, and others applauded the announcement. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? Or they ask for a gift card so you can avoid going to jail? Stop, it's a scam. Gift cards are for gifts, not payments. Report scams at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There are a couple of different options you can take after writing a book. One is to seek publishing at a large company or perhaps a smaller press. Another route is to publish your book yourself, which can sound daunting. It means funding costs for printing as well as time and resources spent on marketing and distribution. It's more work, but some authors have been able to find success self-publishing. Today we'll speak with a few self-published Native authors who span genres and media to reach their readers. And as always, we welcome listener comments and questions. Are you a self-published Native author? Have you ever thought about writing a book? Share your thoughts by entering 1-800-996-2848 into your touchscreen keypad. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. You can also comment on our social media pages. Our handle is one 800 99 native on the line in rapid city south dakota is jesse taken alive rent counter she is a retired school guidance counselor a children's book author and she is hunk papa lakota jesse thanks for joining us today hi thanks for allowing me to be a guest today it's an honor well absolutely jesse and you have published three books yourself what made you choose that route as opposed to a traditional publisher uh, you know, the traditional publishing um, can be really intimidating. <laughs> um, it, you're submitting your work to different publishing uh, companies. And, you know, I think that my style of writing is, is really different. It's unique. I'm kind of, um, I, people say that, you know, they either really love it or just different. <laughs> uh, people have told me that my writing style is kind of more like a storytelling. 
Um, and so because I submitted to different publishers and stuff, they, that's what they would tell me is that your writing style is really different. Um, and, and then I felt like, okay, well, I don't really fit that mold. I'm going to try um, self-publishing. And with that, you know, I can put in there um, some of the things that would have been taken out <laughs> normally um, with the big publishers. So overall, have you been pleased with the results of self-publishing? I have been. Um, you know, like I have more control over um, my books. And like I said, you know, what I put in there, the contents, I want to keep it more traditional uh, from our, our indigenous values and such to um, as far as like um, being able to really target our like our native audience, whether that's schools or many different programs. Um, and so I, I've had more control over it, which is amazing, I think. <laughs> I've also heard that when you self-publish, it's a lot faster than going through a traditional publisher. Is that true? Definitely. So I published my very first book with a hybrid publisher, which is right in between um, an independent uh, publisher and the traditional publishing company. Um, and that book took probably a little over a year. <laughs> and I've, I've actually... I tried another one as well, too, which is probably going on a little over two years. Uh, when I do my independent publishing, my self-publishing books, I can get them out in like less than a month. So if I'm really working on it, I can get it out in probably like a week if I have my <laughs> illustrations ready to go. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's really cranking them out. Uh, are there disadvantages, though, to, to self-publishing? There are some disadvantages. Um, you know, like what was mentioned earlier is, you know, um, you have to kind of do your own promotion. Um, and so being able to really try to get your book out there. Um, social media has really been huge for me. Um, I always like to give a shout out to my husband because I always say my, he, my, he's my husband, but he's also my promoter. He just does it for free out of the love of his heart. And um, he has a pretty decent following on social media. So he's always um, promoting me. And so I think that's been really helpful. And, you know, he says, well, you really can't promote something um, unless you like it. And he says, your stuff is easy to promote it because it's good. <laughs> so, of course, he has to say that because he's my husband. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But I think that would be a huge challenge right there in, in itself is self-promotion. And um, other than, you know, the self-promotion and, and just some of these other factors and, and the cost of having to, to pay for the printing and um what else are just some of the, the more difficult steps in the process of self-publishing? You know, when I first took a look at um, the self-publishing route, you know, I kind of reached out to a, uh, a social media friend who I knew that she, uh, from the Sichanko Lakota Nation, the Rosebud Reservation, uh, Kateri Wilson, she had kind of published some stories, I think mainly for starting off with her daughter, and I knew that she had um, went through that route. So I reached out to her. She kind of directed to me um, to some, uh, like, YouTube channels where you can self-publish your own children's books. And I sat, and I, um, for hours, like, literally, I don't know how many hours I sat, and I taught myself through these YouTube channels, um, trial and error, uploading and, and putting into the right format. Um, I can tell you there was a lot of tears <laughs> went into the first initial book. Um, in times where I thought, you know, I'm giving up for the day. Like, I'm going to go to bed. I can't do this. And I'll come back and I'll work on it when I'm, I'm a little bit more calm and, and ready to go and fresh. Um, and so that it was, it was a trial and error type of deal there for me. But once I got my original format, um, my, my second and my third book that I ended up publishing by myself, I would just go in and, and insert um, through that little format that I had. So 
um, initially it's tough, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and me being not so tech savvy, like I, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> um, with technology, but I'm not like the best. So that was probably the most challenging part right there for me was um, finding that correct format and submitting it and then for them to submit back and say, sorry, that does not meet our requirements. So that was kind of my biggest challenge right there. Yeah, that that part to me seems really intimidating because I, I think of, of of a book and, you know, could be so many pages and the illustrations and everything's got to look just right on the page and like you described the formatting and the fonts and the text just a lot of details there that you have to just get right because if you make a mistake and it goes to, to print i mean that's it i mean it's out there but um jesse i see ads on the internet with companies offering to help self to help people self-publish writers self-publish and uh, are those scams you know, you kind of have to be really careful on what you um, you look for. You know, for myself, I was really fortunate to, like I said, find this uh, these different YouTube videos where people who have published in the past, and, and they kind of direct you to what is legit and what is not legit. And so I saved myself lots of time um, when I when I went through and I listened and I learned from those YouTube videos of what's legit, what's not legit. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, there are scams out there to be aware of. Um, who will, you know, really kind of take advantage of someone who's really wanting to publish a book. So I really suggest kind of doing your homework and kind of looking at maybe some of the reviews. Also, I just want to direct people to that, like finding things on YouTube. There is like channels out there that will help people um, self-publish your books. Well, speaking of, of reviews, I mean, you mentioned reviewing some of these companies that are offering services to, to writers that aspire to self-publish, but also I'm thinking of just book reviews in general, because they are so important when it comes to getting people to read a book. And how do you handle that as a, as a self-published author? Is there a pipeline to connect with people who review self-published books? You know, there probably is um, out there. For, my, for me, myself, like I said, I've really utilized social media. Um, for that and kind of word of mouth people um, will upload the picture of one of the books that I I wrote and say hey check this out and of course that's kind of like word of mouth uh, via social media but also um, I publish through Kindle Direct Publishing online and um, it's off of Amazon and you get like reviews on Amazon right there so you know people can go and take a look at the reviews for themselves and you know 99.99% 99 .99 of the time uh, reviews are awesome and amazing and very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really encouraging. And Jesse, I will say, I mean, there can be a stigma attached sometimes with, with self-publishing. And do you ever feel that your books aren't maybe taken as seriously as children's books that are distributed by traditional publishers? You know, I had that fear, um, to be honest. I had that fear initially when I was going to go the self-publishing route. Um, but after experiencing um, the success that I have with the self-publishing, I no longer have that stigma <laughs> because I, I get messages, emails, um, whatever it may be, word of mouth, people telling me how helpful my books have been for them. And, you know, my books incorporate a lot of our Native American values, our culture, but also I, I throw in there my school counseling lens as a school counselor for 15 years um, that help with those different type of teachings in there. Um, and so people have really had so many positive, uh, so much positive feedback about that, that I no longer feel like, oh, because I'm an independent publisher or self-publisher, that I don't really have that stigma about people who self-publish, especially myself as well. So. And regarding some of that 
cultural content, those elements that you like to include in, in your children's book? Do you think being self-published, you have more flexibility in terms of how you present that information in your books? Absolutely. Um, you know, there are some things that with my original publisher that I went with, like I said, my first book was with a hybrid publisher. Um, when I sent it in, <laughs> I was so excited. And when it came back for the final edits and such, I was like, whoa, this is really um, a little bit different. Some of the words that I used um, were not what I traditionally would have used, um, were kind of more changed to kind of fit their style. And so I was like, okay, you know, but with my um, self-publishing books, I try to keep it um, to like our culture as much as I can, you know, without necessarily like selling our culture, it's more so teaching and educating. Um, and so I, I kind of use, I, that's what I really like about the self-publishing part. Jesse Taken Alive Rent Counter is a self-published children's author. She's also a retired school guidance counselor. And she's talking with us today about the whole process of self-publishing a book. And if you've ever thought about writing a book yourself or learning more about what it takes to publish a book, uh, today's show is going to be right in that wheel well. We're going to give you more information about what it takes to be a self-published author, what some of the pitfalls are, what some of the benefits are, what some of the challenges might be. And anybody that has a question at all or any kind of comment for today's show, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. That is our number. We've got more with Jesse coming up on the other side of this break. Since its eruption on November 27th, lava from Mauna Loa in Hawaii is still flowing. State leaders activated the National Guard, while Native Hawaiians are honoring and celebrating an event that hasn't occurred in nearly 40 years. And in Florida, Indigenous students called the University Honor Society's faux Native ceremony offensive. In case you missed them, we'll bring you up to date on these headlines on the next Native America Calling. Indian healthcare provider www.medicare.gov forward slash coverage forward slash flu dash shots cut Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're speaking with some Native authors about the process of self-publishing. And if you'd like to contribute to our conversation today, you can do so by calling 1-800-996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a holler. Phone lines are open. Jesse Taken Alive Rencounter is one of our featured self-published Native authors today. And Jesse, uh, have you always been a writer, uh, or when did you first get bit with the writing bug? <laughs> Actually, I got bit with the writing bug when I was six years old as a first grader. <laughs> so I um, 
I wanted to, uh, I become an author. One of my first grade teacher told us that we were going to publish our own books. And in my little six-year-old mind, I thought, oh my goodness, everyone's going to be able to read my books. And the thought and the idea of creating something that people can read and, and enjoy and, and maybe even learn from excited me. Um, it turns out it was just uh, writing on paper and having a cardboard from a box uh, wrapped with wallpaper and writing the title on it. But um, it's always been a dream since I was six years old. And you know, being a school counselor, I always kind of looked for books that would help um, students not only learn some of our cultural values as well as those school counseling lessons, and I couldn't find any books that would help with that. And so because I love to write, I thought, you know what, maybe I should just write, you know, because some of the parents and grandparents would ask when the kids would go home about some of the stories that would story tell them. They would call and ask, like, where is this book? And I'm like, well, it's not a book. It's just a story I made up. And so one particular grandfather said, you need to make that into a book. So that kind of planted the idea of publishing books for myself. Now, you've published three children's books so far. And what are your plans going forward? More self-published children's books? Um, absolutely. I'm going to continue to write. I'm writing right now. Um, I have a couple more self-published books that are coming out within the next few months. Um, in addition to that, though, too, you know, although I do love the self-publishing route, I am wanting to reach um, more people globally. And so whether that, whether that looks like just really uh, <laughs> trying to market myself or finding someone that will help me market my books or finding an agent that will help me do that and move on to a bigger level to have a global audience. Um, to teach that we are still here as Native people, um, and we're, we have uh, regular homes and stuff, we have regular issues, but also we still have our values. Um, I want to be able to reach that next level of audience. So I'm going to continue to write as long as we have readers. <laughs> and to reach that larger audience, a global audience, as you describe it, um, do you think working with a traditional publisher at some point is going to have to happen? I absolutely. Um, you know, like what I'm saying, I. In this coming spring, I'll be uh, looking for an, an agent that will kind of help me make that next step um, to be able to reach that bigger audience because that's that's my dream and, and literally a dream that I actually had a few years ago of, of children reading my books in different languages. And, you know, when I woke up and I was like, okay, that's my next step that I need to do that I'm being pointed in the direction of. So uh, I feel like that's in my future and how I get there, I don't know, but I know it's going to help it <laughs> and, and through prayer and such. So. Well, Jesse, good luck with all these future goals and congratulations on, on the three books that you've written already. Folks, let's listen to another self-published native author. Brian Lush is an Albuquerque-based novelist and an enrolled member of the Yankton Sioux Tribe who earlier this year published a novel through a publishing company he created, Rockwired Media, LLC. The book is titled Roger's War and it's a story set in the not too distant future after another American Civil War. He says the idea for the story comes from recent events. The inspiration actually came from, and rather grimly, the Parkland shootings was what inspired it. And when you had our previous president telling everyone that, you know, teachers need to be armed. And that start, that was the impetus of the idea, a story of a teacher armed to the teeth, you know, keeping students in line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, and... 
and as I was and as I had this idea, I was running a music magazine at the time, and I had no time to write the story. And when I did take a crack at it, it didn't work. But the milieu that I had created, you know, you know, had stuck with me. And then years later, after the pandemic, after I had COVID, after, you know, <laughs> the world was on this pause and was getting out of it, that's when I, that was when I decided to just sit down and add to this idea that I had. And at first it was supposed to be from the perspective of, you know, this, this educator, this armed educator, which in the book is Brother Isaac. It was supposed to be his story at first, but I didn't want to live in his head for like months as I wrote this book. <laughs> so I figured, well, the best way in is me. And, you know, the the titular character, Roger, is half black and half Yankton Sioux, like I am. And uh, however, he... He, he has roots in Albuquerque. He has roots in Albuquerque. That's very right. And uh, and as the world, as this, as the country descends into a civil war and a new government called Heartland begins to stake claim over the, the midsection of the country and into the, and into the West. You know, he gets caught up in it and strangely is shipped off to the northern plains. And there's no real explanation for why that happens. Actually, there is. But it was a boring chapter and I cut it out. And <laughs> in the Civil War you describe in this heart, like, it very much parallels what we're seeing in terms of the divide, the, yes. the tension politically, socially in the United States. Uh, there is a, a leader, uh, a fascist leader, who it's pretty obvious who this character is meant to, is, right. it's meant to portray. Right. right? There's no, it's, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out who you know who that's directed at. And but it's very realistic in terms of how that would potentially occur. Because it's on everybody's mind, right? In a modern right. civil war, it wouldn't be north versus south. It would be more of an urban versus a rural yes. type of conflict. And uh, Roger, some step-parents step in, right? Right. They, they raise him. and, and The most him. beautiful step-parents you could imagine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's how it's described. I mean, and they're so young, too. I mean, they're like in their early 30s. And, and, uh, and the thing is, is that, you know, uh, they're, um, they're special citizens. So in a way, he's not... Roger is not exactly a slave to this society. He has advantages in it because of these parents. Well, the the father is an engineer. Right. And what I what I thought was really interesting is that he's a, a very very valuable person to that yes, community because, because be, he, exactly because the the men who have taken over the country didn't account for keeping the power going or the water running or, or or society running. I mean, they just thought guns and we're going to point them at you if you if you look at us funny. You know, you're going to bow down before father, who's, you know, the, the leader of the—he's known as father, but he was a former, you know, minister, <laughs> televangelist who just, you know, really got out of hand with the guns and the— <laughs> Right, right. And there's so many figures like that nowadays, influencers on social. You can see a lot of these connections in how—I mean, reading the book, I was definitely thought like, okay, I could see that happening. This, this is like a realistic scenario in terms of how something like that could unfold, and— 
About how long did it take you to write Rogers of War, Brian? Eight months. It was pretty quick. I mean, I, I was stunned at how quickly I wrote it, you know, because, you know, I mean, I went to school at the I went to the Institute of American Indian Arts for creative writing. And when I left there, I never really did any creative writing. I instead, years later, I, I, I started a magazine and that was the extent of my creativity and running a website and podcasting. But, you know, uh, but I never thought I was ever going to get the the writing bug again. And now it's back and I'm really happy that it is. So it took you eight months to write Rogers War, and then did you shop it around to publishers? How did I that actually go? did not you shop didn't? it okay. at all. I just said, you know, look, when I ran, when I when I worked when I was an editor when I ran my own magazine, I did everything myself, and I figured, you know, why is this going to change when I'm 45 years old and trying to put a novel out? So was there? A lot of cost and time in terms of self-publishing, because now you're responsible for for marketing the book, for getting the it out there. Is to, in, the to cost reviews. is in the marketing, really. I mean, if I want books myself to send to people and 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 inscribe and sign, which has worked out very nicely, it's five dollars a book if I need copies to sell, and then and then I've been doing that to you know fill it, put it on the shelves of places like Red Planet Books. And, you know, other local places. I think I've only ordered 200, and I, and I sold all of them, 20 apiece. So it's, it's going to be robust business once I really get back into it. It'll be great. Any thoughts to doing an audiobook version of it? Everyone has asked me to do an audio version book version of it. I don't think I want to do the reading, though. I'm afraid I would just go off on tangents and, and make verbal annotations about what, why I wrote this or that. And I, I think it would be very interesting, but I don't think it would quite be the thing people want to pay money for. <laughs> the marketing of it, so is it just pretty much you just going out and, and just... Meeting, sending emails, that's cold calling, it, that's exactly what it is. It's it's a little business, a little hustle, and uh, you know, and and it was working out for a little bit. I'm getting back into the swing of it next week. So, and looking back, like if you had shopped it around, and maybe a publisher would have picked it up. I'm, I'm starting to situation? wonder because of the response that it's getting from people I don't know, and I'm so I'm wondering, wow, did I just you know miss something here? Because I didn't shop it at all. You know, I just, you know, I didn't want to, I, I didn't know how. <laughs> so, and I, and I had this book. And as far as I was concerned, it was ready to go. And readers believe, agree with me. You know, the, some of the reviews have really surprised me. How about the editing? Did you have anybody who helped you with Editing and just other proofreading. Grammarly. <laughs> just Grammarly. Okay. That was it. <laughs> okay. One I, thing I, I will notice is there were there were a fair number of typos. Uh, I, I didn't <laughs> notice, especially as the, and I, kind of towards the book, kind of towards the end of the book, I was wondering, maybe somebody was getting tired there as the book was winding down. So I didn't notice. I, I I thought it was so creative and just you know congratulations for having this vision and I have dreamed of writing books many times and I've never been able to get past a few pages and just to be able to sit down, like you said, in eight months and just knock this out. And Brendan, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Native perspective. It's a couple of experiences in my life. 
I grew up in Washington, D.C. Now, we knew Native people growing up in, when I was growing up in D.C. They were my mom's friends. My mom worked for the National Congress of American Indians. But for all of my academic life there, I, never, I was always the only Native kid. And then there was a time when I lived in the town that inspired the town of Parmley in this book. <laughs> the town is called Gayville, South Dakota. And it was where my grandparents lived. And uh, there was a time when my parents had split up and I live and my mom took me to live there. And I was at the very school that is inspired. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have dreams of writing books and it seems like just such a, a big undertaking. What advice do you have to people like that to, with those kinds of aspirations? Where do they start? You start by just writing. I mean, that I, it sounds trivial, but it, it's, it's the literal truth. I mean, you know, I, I think that was what stopped me from writing all those years, not sitting down with at least a pen and paper, at least, and just writing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could sit at a computer and, and type, you know, that's what you have to do. That's how you, you know, you put one foot in front of the other. I mean, I, I know this is how, this is no master class, but, you know, <laughs> but that's that's what just you do. do and, and you just believe and you see it through and you, you know, make notes. And if you can't, if you have trouble writing, write about writing it and you'll snap out of it. I guarantee you. That was Brian Lush. He's the author of his own self-published book, Roger's War. Let's go to the phones. We have Clifton listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, thanks. Uh, a boatload of fun. I really appreciated Roger and uh, uh, also the call for an editor. I realize that it's hard to get published and people are doing self-publishing as a means of getting around that. But golly, please get an editor. I remember reading a self-published book. It was a wonderful story, but it had a lot of plot inconsistencies. It was almost like the person wrote a chapter one day and then had a different idea and wrote a chapter next day and forgot to uh, you know, make sure that plot elements were consistent. That's all I had to share. Thanks. Well, Clifton, stay on the line just for a moment. So I, I want to ask you to follow up on that because uh, what you're describing here sounds a little bit like amateur hour, which I think is sometimes a turnoff for folks with self-published books. And, uh, you know, you suggest uh, an editor. Do you have any ideas for how somebody could get connected with an editor that, that wouldn't charge a lot of money to help them kind of get those fine points uh, razor sharp on their books? You know, I honestly don't know. Um, I have talked to several people who have self-published books, and uh, they've asked for my opinion. And in reading them, it has been like Amateur Hour in a couple of instances. And it's been a shame because in the, in the instances that I'm talking about, the stories were really, truly wonderful. And the people have come to me and they've gotten all kinds of good feedback from the people who love them uh, and who don't want to point out these inconsistencies or these 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 things that take you out of the story. The problem for me is when something suspends, you know, I'm suspending my disbelief. I'm going along with the, the fiction or the fact. Uh, and when something takes me out of the story and makes me acknowledge that there's a mistake, uh, 
you know, I want to put the book down and, and uh, turn on the TV or something. And so okay. I think, first of all, is making the people that are helping you read it be really, truly critical and say, look, you know, if you love me, don't let me put something stupid out into the market. <laughs> okay. uh, and all then right. secondly, Clifton? I think it's worth paying for an editor. Okay. Clifton, thank you for that. And, and Jesse, if you could chime in here, we do have to take a break in about another minute, but what's your thought on that? Uh, you, could you, could you possibly get friends or family to help out with, with being editors and, and offering that creative uh, criticism, or do you, do you need to hire a pro? Absolutely. I think, you know, either way, you do need someone to take a look, maybe even more than one person to, to take a look at your work, um, to look at that. You know, I myself utilize a, um, a coworker who was an English major teacher who, who does what she does for a job is, uh, is take a look at students' papers for high school students. So um, she was super helpful um, with my process with that. So I absolutely agree. I think you do need someone to take a look at your work before you go ahead and print that. <laughs> Well, we are going to have to take a, another short break here uh, before we start our, our next segment of the show. And, and we have another guest coming up. Her name is Kayla Shaggy, and she is a comic book artist. So we're going to talk more with Kayla about her experience as a self-published comic book artist and author. Folks, if uh, you have a call, if you have a question, uh, give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Our phone lines are open, and we'll be right back. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? What if they ask for a gift card so you can avoid arrest, help a family member, or keep your Social Security benefits? No real business or government agency will ever tell you to pay with a gift card. Anyone who does is a scammer. Gift cards are for gifts, not for paying someone. If anyone tells you to pay with a gift card, tell the Federal Trade Commission, the nation's consumer protection agency, at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with self-published Native authors today. Do you ever read self-published books? If so, what do you like about them? Or if you prefer traditionally published books, tell us why at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Phoenix, Arizona is Kayla Shaggy. She's a comic book artist and she is Dene and Anishinaabe. Kayla, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, hello. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, Kayla. And uh, one of the key difference uh, to, to between self-publishing and traditional publishing is regarding who owns the rights and royalties. And when a book is self-published, uh, the the author owns those rights and royalties. And if the publishing company uh, in the case of a traditional publisher, it's a company that owns the rights and royalties. And is, was that a big incentive to you to self-publish, to have control and ownership of those rights and royalties? Uh, yes, very much so. From the time that I you know, wanted to do comic books professionally, I always intended to do self-publishing because of that reason. Well, tell us uh, how your experience has been so far. Have you been pleased overall with the results of self-publishing? Um, I would say so. I would say uh, I, I feel like I've refined my own process. And, you know, it's after a series of five years. So it took a while, but I, I feel like it suits me very well. What are some other advantages that you like about self-publishing? 
um, you know, the whole creative control and then I can adjust, you know, uh, how many books I need, what, what the book is going to look like, the size of the book, and um, being able to work on it on my own pace as well. Kayla, comic books are, are so unique in, in terms of the colors, the illustrations, uh, the covers are always really, really just pop. You know, there's just so much visual stimuli in comic books. And earlier, speaking with Jesse, who writes children's books, and then we had the, the interview with Brian, who wrote a novel. And what kind of special considerations go into to printing and self-publishing comics as opposed to those other types of books? Um, I feel like you definitely do need to find a good printer who's, you know, has experience printing uh, with comic books. And along with, you know, like you said, the cover has to be really inviting and it has to catch your attention. So it's a little, you know, um, it's like the opposite of a don't buy a book because of its cover. It's more like, <laughs> no, you want to buy this book because of the cover. You want to open it, flip it open, you know, go through the pages find out what's going on. Um, the printer I work with, uh, they're called Tribal Print Source, and they're a native-owned business uh, based in California. And uh, I was introduced th to their work um, at an Indigenous Comic-Con a couple of years back. And uh, since then, they've been my printer for five years. Now, do you do all of the comics yourself? Do you, you do the illustrations as well as the actual storylines, or do you have people that uh, assist with that? Uh, nope, I do everything. I do the writing, uh, the drawing, and the coloring, and the, you know, the editing and everything else. Now, another really exciting uh, aspect uh, of your work, Kayla, is you were recently featured in uh, an Unsolved Mysteries episode on Netflix. Uh, how did that appearance come about? Oh, so I was contacted last year uh, around this time of the year about possibly doing art for, uh, you know, the Unsolved Mysteries episode, uh, focusing on the experiences of the paranormal rangers. And at first I thought it was spam, but then I realized, oh, no, this is legit. So in January, uh, you know, they paid for my hotel. They paid for the transportation. Um, I went to California, and that's where we did the filming. And then uh, for the later half of December and then most of January was when I was drawing uh, the images for the episode. I think I drew 40 to 50 images in total for them. Now, how did they originally connect with you? Um, so I, I did ask Caitlin that. She's, she's the producer that I worked with. Um, and she told me that, oh, we saw your work on Instagram, and then we saw that your Instagram was connected to your website. And then we went to your website, we saw that you had even more art to look at. And we were able to find your contact info and, you know, just went from there. Well, tell us more about some of your comic books, Kayla, what kind of themes do you do you draw from? Um, I draw I draw from a lot of themes, I really like different genres, but a lot of it comes down to um, I want to read something with a indigenous main character that isn't a stereotype, that isn't a misrepresentation. Um, so it's a lot of like that native identity, native themes. And of course, you know, drawing from my own uh, background, you know, being Navajo, I do draw a lot of inspiration from traditional Navajo stories, but then I put my own twist on it. Um, 
The Sixth World uh, is my first comic book series. There's four issues out, and it's about a young Navajo woman living on Mars. And it's kind of like she has to contend with the fact that, uh, you know, she's displaced from her, you know, home planet, so to speak, and kind of looking into the themes of, like, what would it be like being native, living in, in space and stuff like that. And there's a lot more going on in the story. Um, and then another comic book I came out with recently is called Ananthema. And it's about two twin Navajo sisters on a journey to find their mother's killer. And it's a medieval fantasy, so there's a lot of magic and monsters. And a lot of the inspiration does come from combining, you know, medieval fantasy, which is, you know, you usually only see in the Western sphere, but also drawing inspiration from traditional Navajo stories like the Monster Slayer Twins. These sound like really, really cool reads. And are most of your readers native? Uh, most of them are. I do have some non-native readers. I have fans from all over the world, uh, you know, Finland, uh, Canada, uh, my friend in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I do love that it's not just native people that read my um, comics. I, I like that I'm able to reach a wide audience because I do want um, more people to read things made by natives, you know, native characters, native narratives, um, because, you know, we're not often seen in the comic book world. And if I can contribute that, you know, that makes me really happy. Let's go back to the phones. Alex listening on KUNM, also in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Alex, hello. How's it going, Sean? Uh, this is a great conversation. Um, so, yes, I uh, own and operate a local publishing company here in Albuquerque called Community Publishing. And uh, one of the things about self-publishing that I, I don't – I'm not trying to talk people off of that, but it, you have to do a lot of the legwork on your own, like you are saying – hire an editor, hire an illustrator. Uh, there's a lot that goes on to it. And, and of course, you know, a lot of people have done it successfully, but with a smaller house like Community Publishing, we kind of do all that work for you with professional editors. Uh, we're really flexible. If you want to use your own illustrator, we've got a team of illustrators. So there's a lot of different ways of going about uh, publishing your book uh, in terms of uh, you know, not have, you know, trying to, to submit to the big houses. Of course, it's, we should do that as well, but it's harder to get your book published, obviously. So self-publishing, definitely an, uh, an option, but smaller houses are something to look at as well. Like community publishing, we published two books by Native authors, a children's book, uh, Bella the Caterpillar, and we also published uh, The Native American Church by Jeff Lee Sr., and our books are at communitypublishing.org. So okay. I would definitely, you know, want folks to... Keep the keep the creative juices flowing, but uh, there's ways of doing it where you don't have to do all the work. Alex, thanks for that call and uh, sharing your comments regarding small publishing houses. And along those lines, Kayla, um, I'm thinking about distribution and how you connect with your readers. And you mentioned having fans all over the world. And is it mostly online how you distribute your comic books, or do you get a lot of hard copies out there as well? So I do have like both physical and digital copies on my online store, uh, but my books are also available at Maria's Bookshop in Durango, Colorado, as well as Red Planet uh, Books and Comics in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
um, you know, I try to get my work out there when I can. Oh, also, um, Wasted Ink Zine Distro here in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is uh, just a wide distribution and just trying to reach out to as many people as I can. And so I think um, referrals, you know, word of mouth also really helps too. So do you think you're going to continue going the self-publishing route or, or when you hear callers like Alex suggest working with an independent publishing house as another option, is that something that appeals to you perhaps? Mm, I've already tried that and it ended up um, in a very disappointing way. So I guess I'm kind of like the, a person who knows I can depend on myself and I really don't mind doing all of that hard work and preparation because, you know, it culminates in this tangible physical item that I can, you know, hand over to people and be like, hey, I made this, you know, and I think working at this for five years, I feel like I've, I've mentioned this before, I've refined it to a point where I feel like I have the hang of it now. Um, I, I, I probably plan on going with self-publishing for as long as I can. Um, there is one time I did publish something with like a small house, though. Um, earlier this year, uh, a friend and I worked on a story for the A Howl anthology, uh, which is an indigenous werewolf comic anthology printed by uh, Native Realities and sold at Red Planet Comic Book Store. And how did that go for you? Oh, it went really well. Um, I was already like, you know, friends with my writer and it was just, you know, some nice collaborative back and forth kind of work and being able to be published with other uh, indigenous creators was a really great experience. Now, when you have an idea for a comic or you get some initial drawings uh, sketched up, do you sit down with anybody like focus groups or do you have friends or, or any colleagues that kind of help you work through that creative process? Oh, yeah. I belong to an online group um, called the Indigenous uh, Comics Collective, and it's all Indigenous people from, you know, in and around uh, the United States. And, we, you know, we get feedback from each other. Um, I'm also posting my art online on social media, you know, throwing ideas out there, seeing what people respond to. And, of course, I always have, like, my friends, my family, and my girlfriend to talk to. And, you know, it all becomes uh, a, a great, um, you know, collaborative uh, collaborators to talk to for future works. Now, as I understand it, the, the native comic scene has really blown up in recent years with comic cons and just a lot of events, uh, a lot of people that are native people writing comics. And do you have any tips for aspiring comic book writers such as yourself? Hmm. I would say that you should explore all avenues of what you can do. Um, also, you're going to need to find an artist and preferably a native comic book artist. Um, but I would say, you know, just stick to what you like and try to remember why you want to write these stories in the first place. And I think most of all, you should have fun with it as well. Okay. Jesse, how about you? Tips for aspiring children's book authors? Yeah, for sure. I um, just want to encourage people, if you have a story that you want to write and you are wanting to um, be an author, like, hey, there's 
so many people that are waiting to hear your stories. Um, tips, I want to just kind of piggyback off that last comment and what she said about finding an, um, an amazing illustrator. Find an illustrator that, um, it, that you love their style. Um, and, and like she said, you know, find a native illustrator. Um, that's, I was really blessed to have a, an amazing illustrator for all of my books. Um, she happens to be my cousin. <laughs> so, um, and, and yeah, those are tips right there. You know, one thing though too with self-publishing versus like the small house publishing is you get more control over that. Like I've been able to um, direct people to a, an online um, like through Kindle Direct Publishing through Amazon um, and say, hey, you know, if, if you don't want to go through my personal website, go order through them. And, you know, instead of having to have like money shuffle through many different people, it's going to come straight to me, whether they order from my website or if they order through Kindle Direct Publishing online. So um, there's so, so many positives and perks to self-publishing. Well, Jesse, we highlighted that one of the, the key advantages of, of self-publishing is that you own the rights and royalties to your book. And, and I'm curious with your illustrator, you mentioned as a cousin, uh, do you still retain all, all the rights and ownership uh, of the works or do you share that with your cousin or is there co-ownership at all? You know, how we worked it out before we even started our first book is um, she says, you know, I'll you pay me per image um, a certain price and then you own all the rights, which is like amazing, <laughs> which, you know, and maybe because she's my cousin and she's just sweet and, and selfless artist, she just wanted her art to be out there and to help. And she loved the stories. Um, and so that's the deal that we, her and I worked out. Of course, when I get books in and stuff, I ship her a big amount of books that she can sell on her own or keep or pass out or whatever she wants to do with them. So that's kind of our little deal that me and her have together. Um, grateful for her work, such a talented artist. Well, this has been a really, really interesting, inspiring conversation, chatting with native authors who have taken the challenge, assumed the challenge of self-publishing, and it sounds like it's gone really well for these three native artists who we have featured on our show today. So to our guests, Jesse Taken Alive Rencounter, Brian Lush, and Kayla Shaggy, thank you for joining us to talk about your experiences as self-published native authors. Join us again tomorrow as we catch up on recent news you might have missed in Indian country. Until then, thanks for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com slash news. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.